Hey, hey, welcome to the Phil Drysdale Show. This week we have William Paul Young. I'm really excited for this chat. I've been a huge fan of the the Shack and a lot of his writings and, and, and messages over the years. And um, so I'm really excited to talk with him. I'm sure we're going to have a great chat. Um, and so let's dive straight in. Hey there. Hey, hey, how's it going, Paul? Good. Can you hear me all right? I can hear you wonderful. You've got a Yeti. I'm, I'm delighted. I do. I'm a team Yeti guy. <laughs> Always makes a big difference on things like this when when the person has a, a mic. You you know you work yeah. with what you have, but man, a mic. I have fr- I have friends who help me out with such things. So there you go. That's what you need. People know what they're doing. <laughs> yeah. How are you, Phil? I am really really well. I I I've had a weird couple of weeks. I've been feeling pretty low. Just getting I don't know my head around life uh in in this time that we're in and went for a about an eight mile walk today i just kind of took the morning off and just i walked and i didn't come back until i kind of felt good i was one of those situations we i'm like okay i think i'm ready to go home and i'm like oh wait i'm now like you know four and a half miles from home so (laughs) So i i coined two terms about this time and that one is crisis fatigue and compassion fatigue yeah man part of it is because we are so instantly inundated with crisis mm. you know yeah. and used to you we used to have a big buffer you know it used to take two weeks to get the information that san francisco had had a big fire you know yeah absolutely yeah hit the and signals so, coming across america you know this is the fires yeah. or whatever <laughs> yeah yeah so uh but you know we get it all over the world and it goes through the little lens of a of a particular camera or whatever yeah, yeah. um um, Malcolm Muggeridge wrote the book, uh, Christ in the Media. It's profound. It's a little okay. book that is really profound and very no. prophetic in many ways. Small little book. But he begins with <clears throat> how the world changed when <clears throat> they first started doing uh, video. And um, one of the big first events was the execution of someone in Egypt. I think it was in Egypt. And... Um, and the cameras were rolling to watch this execution, which had never been done before. Yeah. And um, right when they were, oh, it was a firing squad, I think. And right before, you know, ready, set, fire, whatever they say, you know, they, they were at ready, set, and somebody else, stop, stop, stop. My battery failed. So they had to wait to finish the execution for the battery to be changed out. And, um, and, and I think it's Muggeridge who says, you know, basically nothing was the same after that. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It's crazy. The, the sheer quantity as well, you know, when you've got every single person on the planet, give or take having some sort of ability to kind of yell and be heard. Uh, I know that's very, uh, uh, maybe not true of a, a huge swath of people around the world to be fair but like you know it's not hard for bad news to reach us as well and so when there's such a wealth you know it used to be i remember growing up as a kid and like i remember we had a thing on the 10 o'clock news every day it would end with like and here's um a squirrel on a surfboard you know and it's like what <laughs> or like here uh, for our last five minute segment here's the shortest cycle lane in britain and it's like you know it's 10 foot long and they decide to give up so they've like built this whole cycle path for you know 10 feet and like that was in the news they had five minutes of that you know because it's like yeah yeah, we're good we've kind of shared a few crappy situations now it's like dude we could go 24 hours non-stop 
Um, it, it's just, it, it's overwhelming. It is yeah. over- and yet it's not that we actually do a broad spread of everything either. We, we're so no. single-minded, right? We do 24 hours on one thing and one thing alone from one angle. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, I, maybe once a week we should have a, a blood Sabbath. That is, we should have a day where nobody is allowed to post news that is about violence or mm. loss or anything. It has to be one day that is focused on things that are good and right and yeah. beautiful happening in the world. Just one day a week. Yeah, yeah. I've taken to following uh, on my on my social media. I, I follow a couple of news accounts, but outside of that, I've taken to trying to follow solely sources that just feed me because I just can't do it. If if I want to be instantly depressed, I'll jump on the news. If it's big yeah. enough, someone I'll, I'll hear through the grapevine. Right? I mean, I've got tons of people on social I'm connected to. I'll hear it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I'm not worried. I'll miss out on some important news. You know, in this day and age, but like. It's just, I don't want to be bombarded by it. It's definitely, um, it's intense. And yeah, it's, it's intense when you're not being able to hang out with your friends and you're not able to do all these kind of normal day-to-day things. It's, right. it's a lot. It's created a vacuum in which you have to make a decision. You know, mm. a, a lot of times life itself just restricted the amount of space you had to, to think and breathe. And all of a sudden there's a whole bunch of it. And now it's like, what? And into that vacuum is coming everybody's now a social scientist and everybody's now an yeah. expert in, in uh, race relations and everybody's now, you know, Absolutely. and, and you have all these competing voices and it's just, it's absolutely overwhelming. And, mm. and if you don't have something that grounds you inside of it all, you you just get swept away by it and yeah. by the emotions of it. And that's the compassion fatigue side, you know, you feel the losses, you feel a lot more losses and a lot more of them that you, you cannot respond to. Yeah. Well, you know, you it's, simply it's can, one thing right? to have somebody in my life who's got a, a family member who's dying that I'm in the, I'm in the middle and present to that. Mm. It's another thing for swaths of humanity that are, you know, that are not known to me personally. And, um, but I feel the losses, you know? Yeah. Well, so, you can't, you can't watch these things. You can't see a, um, a Syrian washed up on a beach, you know, dead. You can't see, you know, George Floyd being kneeled on, you know, all these different things. You, you see that and you can't help but go, God, that is crushing me. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, it's like, okay, so we'll march about this. I'll boycott this product. I'll boycott this country. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll sign these petitions. But at a certain point you're going, I'm doing, I'm still like a drop in the ocean, a tiny scratch of this huge beast. Uh, and so, it's, was it was it Voltaire? Exhausting. Was it Voltaire who said no single snowflake in an avalanche feels responsible? There you go. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Yeah. Wow, dude, I'm really really excited to have this conversation. We're we're already going. I just kind of dive in. So we, we, that was good stuff. Um, but I just want to say thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for making the time. I want to be really Absolutely sensitive honest. to your time. How much time have you got? Because we, I usually go. I'm a rambler and I can talk about every topic on the planet. Um, and so if you're a talker and I know you can talk, um, I want to be sensitive that we don't just keep doing that forever. <laughs> yeah. So we'll feel it out as we go. Okay. Do you have a hard limit somewhere where you're going to go? Like, okay. But yeah, seriously, I have to go to lunch or you know, I've got another appointment. Well, or at some Not point, really. Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and, no, cool. Uh, That's great. We usually go about yeah. somewhere between an hour and a half and three hours. Three hours is definitely on the long end of things, um, but we can cut it. Anytime at all, if you, yeah, if you feel whatever. Not, not going more than an hour and maybe a quarter. So Okay. 
Perfect. Well, then we should crack on for sure. Yes, we should. So um, I'm really intrigued to um, kind of dive into a lot of things. I know for me, I, I followed you for ever and ever, really. Probably when Shaq first came out, I, I grabbed a hold. I was in quite a, a conservative uh, brethren movement at the time. Wow. Um, I, know and, uh, I loved it. I absolutely <laughs> loved it. I, I was always a bit of a, a, a wild card. Um, and so I've, I've been tracking with you for a long time. And I got to say in my journey, which has been very complex and very um, unraveling, I've gone down the slippery slope and loved it the whole way down. Um, I, I found that as I've read your book year in, year out, I've, uh, I've picked it up and I've read it and I've gone, gosh, this is saying something completely different to me, something completely new. Um, and, I, and I've, I've hunted down every single thing on YouTube or anything that you've done. And, and, um, and so I'm, I'm a very uh, well-studied uh, William Paul Young fan. And so I, I know a lot, of, a lot about you. And I'm sure my audience probably at this point, um, you know, when was the Shack written? It was, it was uh, published May of 2007. Seven, yeah. So I mean, 13 years, I, I'm sure a lot of people are now tracking with you. It's, uh, was it, it's in the top 100 books of all time, is it, The Shack? Yeah, that's what I understand. Absolutely yeah. astonishing uh, achievement. Uh, how, I, I understand that you share quite openly about your, your childhood, uh, about um, a lot of trauma, a lot of abuse, um, being in a very fundamental kind of background yourself, um, yeah. to writing uh, The Shack, you know, uh, Eve Crossroads, I mean, your work that you've done is, is a very far removed place from that kind of uh, childhood that you describe. Yeah. Do, do you think you could maybe give us a, a, an overview of kind of your journey out of kind of like more of a fundamental kind of um, background um, into the place where you were when you sat down and started kind of penning the shack or, or maybe beyond? I'm sure the journey hasn't stopped. Right. Well, it, a lot of people grow up in a very um, uh, singular type of environment. You know, it's, it's the world, you know. And um, so if you're in an Amish community and you grow up, that's the world, you know, mm. and, um, and I just, part of what I think sent me in different directions is the fact that I grew up in a world that was unusual. That is, it's multicultural to the core. Yeah. Um, I was a year old going into stone age tribal culture that practiced ritualistic cannibalism and spirit worship, you know, so, and that had never seen a white person before mm. and nobody spoke their language. And so I was the first one and cause I was only a year old and I'm a child and that's, yeah. that became my world. But then I was also interacting with the outside world in a way that none of them had a capacity at the time and, uh, or, or access at the time. Yeah. And, um, um, one of the mistakes, a good one that my parents made is that since there was no technology of any sort, really, um, and I was growing up Donnie, my, where I began to find a way to exercise thinking were reading the classics mm. and I read them. And then, you know, things like uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs and, uh, you know, the Martian series. And, and so I was, I was already, and I loved books because it was a way to get out of my world and, mm. and it was an escape for me. Yeah. And, um, and I was a voracious reader. So, so that, and then interacting with different cultures, not being able to figure out what my identity was and who I belonged to and all of that kind of stuff. Plus the trauma of the sexual abuse and things like that. And, um, my difficult relationship with my dad, but my, 
I, I don't remember a time where I wasn't drawn to the good and the beautiful. And, and that's what kind of penetrated into the places that were dark already. So, yeah. um, you know, we came back to Canada when I was about 10 years old and I was completely lost. I mean, I just, I didn't know how to function. And so um, I was scrambling anyway. Plus, you know, by the, 12, by the time I'm 12, I'm pretty addicted to certain kinds of, um, of well, porn for one of them, you know, by 12. Mm -hmm. And, and that had to do, I'm sure, link, well, I know it had to do, it linked back to the abuse and things like that. And the abuse didn't occur from my, from my biological family. It started with um, the tribal culture and then before I was five years old. And then it was also in boarding school when I was six and seven and eight. Mm -hmm. and, um, and that was peer on peer. But it's because a whole bunch of us were broken and we're all yeah. put in one place and we were, we were the... We were the children that were that our our religion was willing to sacrifice on the altar of the purpose of God. Mm, yeah. Did and, you did uh, you find yourself um, connecting the dots in that? Did you find yourself resenting the faith itself, or was that never something that you connected? Does not not initially. In fact, in fact, Jesus became the only person who never left. So mm. the connection with Jesus was really strong. Um, God, the Father, the Holy Spirit was just a complete mystery because we were fundamentalists on the non-charismatic Pentecostal side. So, sure. you know, yeah. so instead of speaking in tongues, we had a quiet time, which is sort of the opposite. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> so so uh, the, the character of God was, was uh, that's where the rub was. And I think my own relationship with my father really influenced um, my fear mm -hmm. um, and angst with regard to God, who seemed to be the real God. You know, Jesus seemed to be an intermediary who was a nice guy, um, but there was, a, there was a darkness behind Jesus. And, mm -hmm. it, and it came through in, in the sermonizing and in the preaching and in the theology as I began to study theology. Um, and I was drawn to theology. I never wanted to be a professional Christian. You know, I just... Mm -hmm. That wasn't an attraction to me at all. Um, I think also because of my um, difficulty with my father, okay. who is a professional Christian. Yeah. And um, um, so, you know, and I didn't know his history. I didn't know where he came from. He never, he never was self-disclosing. Um, relationally, I've never known my father to, to act like a dad. You know, I, I just, that wasn't a part of our, and that's because he was completely broken before I ever got on the scene by his father and his father before him. So, so, you know, it was a long line of damage. And, uh, but when you're a child, you just assume that, especially, especially when the person is powerful, you assume they're right and you're wrong. Yeah. And children just assume that they must be the, the cause of everything that's not right, you know? And uh, um, so, you know, in terms of connecting the dots or beginning part of, part of what really helped was that I was a reader and, and mm. I began to read outside my tradition. And, and there were right. people inside my tradition that were, that were more mystical. They were more relational. They, you know, and then I really do think that the Holy Spirit wove certain new voices into my life at the right times. Yeah. I ran into a, 
a teacher named Malcolm Smith, whom many people may know. And, uh, and he was a Bible teacher. And when I started listening to his stuff and I was in my teens, it was like a whole different world. He was talking about union with Christ. He was talking about, you know, a different way to look at eschatology or mm. end time stuff. And, and, um, and the relationship of Jesus to the father. I mean, it was just like a little bit mind blowing, but I'd also heard those voices within my own subculture. Right. Uh, there were, there were A.W. Tozer as part of my history, you know, and, yeah. uh, and, and he wrote things that were incredibly meaningful and uh, opened up the idea that you could be thoughtful and faithful at the same mm. time. Yeah. Which was a little bit of a conundrum. The problem was, is that I, I had run to hide in my intellect, even though shame had always whispered that I wasn't actually smart. I just fooled people. But I ran to the intellectual side of the equation and learned to live there. So, mm. so I, I had great ideas and I could see things, especially since I'm from outside the cultures. And, uh, but it didn't, it didn't penetrate down into the places where it created any kind of continuity between my head and my heart. So the division there was massive. And I think that's where a lot of addiction comes in is the space between your head and your heart. You know, if mm. the, the, when you disassociate and you compartmentalize um, your intellect from the rest of your personhood, you create mm. a vacuum that something's got to fill. And for mm. a lot of us, it was, it was the imagination of being loved or the imagination of being significant, the imagination of being a person who mattered. And all of those things are buried in it, in, in what addiction does. And the other side of addiction, the chemical side of addiction has to do with, I don't want to feel the shame that, that dominates my life. So this mm. is a way to run. It's an escape, right? All addictions mm. are an escape of one sort or another, um, a way of covering over fear and shame. And and um, that's what it was for me. So, but I performed well, you know, turns out I'm actually smart. I'm, and it turns out I'm actually creative and that mm. I, that it wasn't all fake, but, but I always thought it was. And uh, yeah. I just thought I had honed my ability to lie to such a degree that I was sort of unaware of it myself. And, and, and this is an important point for a lot of people who are hurting. For most of us, lying is not an intention to deceive anybody. Lying is, is a way to be safe. It's, yeah. a, it's a survival skill. And when you learn it as a little child, it just becomes part of how you breathe. Yeah. And, and so, you know, and then when you have a religious idea that it's about confessing your sin and then moving on without anybody else finding out about it, right? I mean, mm. that's because shame, you don't want any kind of exposure. So I, I had no concept that the unexposed was the unhealed, that, mm. that the work of the Holy Spirit was actually to expose my heart yeah. in order to heal me, not to humiliate me. Because mm. my first sense is any exposure is absolutely humiliating. So, you know, as a, as a Western Christian young person, you can, you can wrap all you can justify all your ways to run, mm. you know, even if it is 
you know, I've been praying really hard and I think God wants me to move to the other side of the planet, you know? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And basically you're saying, people are starting to get to know me. Yeah. I got to get They're, a lot. The, the yeah. race is up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and it's not even that conscious. See, part, a lot of this is unconscious. That's, yeah. And it was unconscious for me for a long time because I, I was never present to deal with it. I was scrambling mm. to find my way out of the predicaments that I was in and that I imagined were coming. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. That's, that feels like it's a really common way. thing. Like in, in anecdotally, at least for me, working with people that are in the process of either coming out of um, some form of fundamentalist Christianity or church or, or whatever it is, um, it feels that a huge common theme is some form of coming to terms with the trauma that they've experienced within that framework, whether it was by the framework or just within the framework. I think both, both exist probably. Um, do you think when you look back at your experience of, of the churches that you were involved in, in the religious organizations that you're involved in, do you think that they were equipped to, to help someone that was in your position? Do you, do you know oh, what no. I mean by that? Cause yeah, yeah. I feel like that's something that's really common is people are, are completely unaware, but so are the people that are supposed to be helping. You know? um, well, and, and a lot of times it's because the people that were supposed to be helping were from a generation in which any kind of therapeutic model was um, kind of anathema to the mm. gospel. I mean, um, as a kid, uh, a therapist was akin to a witchcraft, you know, I mean, mm. it was just like, no, that's just all pseudoscience and, and, and at best, you know, if it's yeah. not a full total attack demonic against your kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. 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 Borderline demonic. And, um, and so, you know, that was the frame of reference that a lot mm. of us grew up in. So w when you went to get help, it was like, depending on your tradition, it was like, you know, you pray the rosary or you, or you confess, you confess or, and then we pray for you and let's go on, but let's not tell anybody about, mm. you know, and yeah. so there was, there was no real disclosure and there was no sense of community. And you find out that everybody's hiding yeah. and, and, and nobody knows what to do really. Yeah. And so a lot of the, a lot of the responses that you got were kind of band-aid responses. They didn't deal with any of the stuff that was going on. And you know what a fundamental flaw in the whole thing was, is that we had such a low view of humanity Mm. trying to cover it up you know um um i have a i have this little you know post which is piece of shit theology that that's the truth of your being as a human being is that you're a piece of crap mm, yeah worthless uh you're totally depraved you need you need jesus to cover you with his righteousness because you know like like luther said you know you're snow covered dung but but the, so I think Jesus gets in the way, kind of. Well, yeah, God, protect, God can't protect see. You from, he can only see Jesus you kinda... from the big God. Yeah, <laughs> because the big God is like, man, he's out, and yeah. Jesus is going. Well, I like him, you know. Yeah. Okay, as long as you, as long as you cover him up, well. Yeah. I only want to see you whenever I look at him. <laughs> like, yeah. Exactly. Like a really healthy yeah. relationship. Well, and it, how, how different is that to? a fundamental atheist position. And I'm not using that as a value statement. I'm just using it as an observation mm. in which you, you believe in just materialism and that we've emerged from the slime 
and that we're just, you know, so now we're in competition with each other. And so what is the inherent value of a human being? It's what you produce, mm. right? It's, and so now we're in competition and the survival of the fittest and all that kind of stuff. Um, how, how different is that than the kind of theology that we grew up with? Because you ended mm. up being in competition and hiding, right? Hiding your flaws, hiding your weakness, and, uh, and hoping that you can meet the grade before you die so that you don't spend eternity in an eternal conscious torment. Yeah. I mean, the whole thing is self-referential, right? And this is what's so scary in terms of coming from a fundamentalist point of view is that it's self-referential. So you build a house of cards, but you can't question it. Yeah. Because to question it is to actually be something that ends you up in eternal conscious torment. Yeah. Right. And so it's, it's very cultic in its own design yeah. way. And, yeah. um, and, and, you know, I love the community of faith. Don't get me wrong. I, I'm not, I used to have a chip on my shoulder that was pretty obvious, but I don't anymore. Um, I, I don't expect systems to be authentic and human. In fact, mm. when, when they are, it's because there are really good human beings who are in the middle of those structures and systems who are acting out of the truth of who they are, mm. you know, even in spite of the limitations yeah. of the systems. And so, you know, human beings make systems up. That's what we do. Um, there's no s systemic reality about God. God's mm. not religious. God doesn't care about economics in terms of there's no, you know, internal Trinity exchange system, you know, like the economics, there's no politics, yep. right? There's no hierarchy within the Trinity. So, so all the things that, that we create out of our sense of shame and absence and fear and all that, we build it with a combination of good and evil because mm. that's the fruit we ate. So we can do things that are really good. And we do. I mean, Christianity, for all its flaws, has done some profoundly helpful things on this planet. Absolutely. Like medicine and science. So is Islam. The Islamic mm -hmm. scientists were some of the best first scientists ever. Same with Egypt. Yeah. You know, um, in terms of your, your fundamental mathematics came out of other kinds of cultural situations. So, mm -hmm. so it's like, all right, so human beings, we create systems. But, but part of the freedom that we have is to recognize that God's not a Christian, never been a Christian, doesn't want you to become a Christian, right? Christianity is a religion. Yeah. And it's like God hates sacrifice, doesn't want you to be involved in sacrifice, but here you did. You brought sacrifice to the table. So this is a God who's going to climb inside your sacrifice and destroy the evil intent of that while keeping the good things that you brought to the table alive. Mm. That's that is respect, and so in Christianity, um, you may have heard this little story. I was I was invited to come talk to a little uh, young girl. She was probably sixteen, seventeen years old from Indonesia, who was a foreign exchange student over here to the U.S. Okay, and uh, and uh, her dad, the dad in the family, knows me, and while she came over as um, as a Buddhist, and um, and while she was here she interacted with a group of young people who loved Jesus and, and she had an encounter with Jesus and she read the shack. 
Mm. And the shack just was like mind blowing for her. And she told the father of the household that she was staying with, said, you know, you know what's on my bucket list is to one day meet the author of this book. And he's like, well, <laughs> I happen to know him. And so he gives me a call and he says, he explains the whole thing and says, would you meet with, with her? And I said, yeah, she's from Indonesia. Are you kidding? That's, you know, that's where I grew up. And um, yeah. I wasn't in Indonesia when I started there, but it, it was annexed to become. And, uh, and so we met at St. Arbucks, you know, and, and uh, having a cup of coffee. And actually I was having tea and, and we sat outside. Um, St. Arbucks is the patron saint of staying awake in church. Yeah. St. Arbucks. We, they call it Starbucks here, but we know better. And, um, and so we're sitting outside and she, for about two hours, maybe two and a half hours. And in a lot of conversations, when you, when you first meet someone, you start, you start at the periphery and then slowly you move into the center, mm. you know, which is normal. And um, so I, I, the conversation got a little deeper and a little deeper and a little deeper. And then finally she says, one of the things I want to talk to you about is that I'm, I'm going to be going home in, a, in about two weeks. And um, she said, you know, I, I was never a, a serious Buddhist. I was a serious, I wasn't serious about anything. And, uh, but I went to the Buddhist temple because I love my grandmother and mm. she does, she's a Buddhist and, um, and my mom's a Buddhist. And so here's my conundrum. She says, um, I am part of the youth group and they're so wonderful. They're so good. And, and they're telling me that they're going to be praying for me as I go back to Indonesia, back home. And they're praying that I will now, now that I've become a Christian, that I will take a stand for my faith. <laughs> and she said, I don't know what to do about that. What does that mean? And, and I, I love my grandmother. And I'm feeling like, so I'm, I can't go to the Buddhist temple with her anymore, that that's mm -hmm. part of taking my stand. And, you know. You, yeah, you can yeah. feel this because a lot of us have found ourselves in the same predicament and we put a lot of other people in that predicament too. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I, and she said, what, what am I supposed to do? And I said, well, it's really easy. Just don't be a Christian, be a Buddhist follower of Jesus. Cause Buddhism is her culture. Right. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I said, be a Buddhist follower of Jesus. She goes, oh, you're allowed to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I said, yeah. I said, I know a lot of Buddhists who are followers of Jesus. I know, you know, Muslims who are followers of Jesus. I even know Christians who are followers of Jesus. A few. There's some out there. <laughs> there are some out there, you know. And I said, you know, like I said to my own people, you know, be a Christian when it's helpful. Mm. But understand that Jesus did not come to found Christianity. Christianity yeah. is not the goal here. Yeah. And we've turned it into a religion that has divided the world, slaughtered millions of people, you know, and yeah. uh, as a result. And, and juxtapose against the religion of materialism or, you know, um, um, atheistic ideologies that have also slaughtered millions of people because that's, that's a, that is a religion without God. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we've got a religion with God, but it's a religion. And, and I just wish that my people could disengage from their identity as Christian. So um, there is a time when it's helpful, 
You know, when I'm talking to my yeah. own people, it's helpful. And I don't mind saying I'm a Christian. That's my tradition. That's where I come from. That's yeah. like saying I'm a Canadian, you know, and, yeah. uh, and I'm a Canadian when it's helpful. I'm also a U.S. citizen. <laughs> and I'm a U.S. citizen when that's helpful, too. Yeah. Um, but it's part of being all things to all people. Yeah. But really, your identity is, in, is inside Trinity, is in mm. Jesus. That's, that's the basis of how you function in this world. So it's the only yeah. way you can be in it and not of it. So I said to her, so ask the Holy Spirit or ask Jesus how best to love your mom. Mm. And don't be surprised if Trinity says to you, well, let's, let's go to the Buddhist temple because that's what your grandma wants to do or your mom wants to do. And, and I said, don't be afraid. It's not like you're going somewhere where God is not, mm. you know, because everybody there, whether they know it or not, are in Christ because nothing has come into being that is, has come into being apart from him. All of creation was created in mm. Christ, Ephesians, right? Colossians 1, 16 and 17. And all of creation is now held together, sustained. So you're not going to meet anybody who's not in Christ. Because yeah. like George MacDonald says, if you're not in Christ, you will lapse in uh, Athanasius, actually, in about 320 AD. You know, if you're not in Christ, you will lapse into non-being. Because mm. there is nothing outside of Trinity. All of creation is inside of Trinity. Yeah. And um, so there's no separation, no fundamental separation at all. And I said, you know, just ask, and the Holy Spirit will teach you how best to love your, your grandma. Yeah. And, um, and it's just like, oh, okay. But we've, um, we've linked our identities to a religious organization or system in such a way that has created barriers, impediments, and actual damage. Yeah, absolutely. Not, not just to those we love, but to, to those in the world we don't know. Yeah. And, um, and so I think that's part of the journey. And when I talk like this, I know that it, it's a, it, it shakes some things for people because mm -hmm. they've made that singular identity to a religious system. Yeah. But if they think about it, they're going like, well, there's 40,000 denominations yeah. you know, that are Christian. And it's like, they all exist because they distinguish themselves from each other based on some kind of an ideal, ideological mm -hmm. difference of some sort or another. And, and that's what Jesus was after in order to divide the universe into, you know, smaller and smaller bits and pieces. It just doesn't yeah. seem to make any sense at all. And, um, the, and definitely contrary to John 14 through 17, right. You know, that you yeah. may all be one and it's like, Oh, but at the same time, we all, there's beauty and value in what we bring to the table. Absolutely. You know, our, yeah. our distinctiveness and, and our journeys and all of that has become part of our story and, and our stories matter and our stories yeah. teach each other. So it's just like, I don't yeah. want heaven without, you know, the new age and um, new age, the new heavens and new earth without Vietnamese food. Yeah, yeah. no, not at all. Yeah. I don't want it without Buddha. Um, <laughs> I want, I want all this good stuff. There's lots of great stuff in all of it. And Christ can be found through it all, I'm sure, um, in one manner or another. But one thing that fascinates me is um, in, in observing your stuff over the years, I've seen you, and it might just be that I've seen you in more uh, diverse or um, 
less kind of uh, rigid uh, positions uh, where you're able to share. Um, but I feel like if, if we go back to kind of when the shack was first kind of brought out, when you would share things, it was often in like churches, it was in kind of like um, fairly um, uh, religious institutional kind of locations. Um, and I would very much see that dynamic of all things to all people, right? I would see, um, I, I could pick up the shack and be like, dude, this guy, God, right between the lines, this guy could be a universal. I could imagine he's certainly maybe an annihilationist. I don't think he's very big on eternal conscious torment anyway, but I can see you going into a place that's very big on eternal conscious torment and just going, let's not talk about that part. Let's move on and talk about some of this. So that, and, and I right. could see there's a dynamic of you being very, very, um, uh, Careful. diplomatic, very good at navigating, tiptoeing on the eggshells. But one thing I imagine, uh, just having been in this world for however many uh, years, you can't, it doesn't work all the time, right? You still end up pissing people off. <laughs> and and well, we, we've all read yeah, the, the Shack reviews, you know? I mean, so they existed. There was a, there was backlash. There was angry oh, people. There was oh, the oh. Mark Driscoll sermons or whatever else was the big thing around that time. Um, yeah. How did you navigate the dynamic because uh, I'm presuming as you as you didn't really plan to bring this out on the world stage, but as I it started did. to get more popular, I could imagine that did did you did you look at that and go, oh man, this might not make me the most popular person in a lot of circles. Was no, that a, a dynamic or you didn't mind nope. at all? Wow. Didn't care. Okay. Didn't care. Because thankfully I was 50 years old by the time it happened. And so my identity was in place. Mm. before I wrote the shack, the shack, you know, and I tell people this, the shack didn't give me anything that actually mattered except for one thing. Um, but it didn't give me identity, worth, value, significance, security, mm. meaning, purpose, destiny, community, or love. All of those things were already in place. Yeah. And, uh, what it did give me is an invitation to walk on the holy ground of other people's stories. Mm. That's such a monumental gift not just to me, but my family and friends and, and, um, and, the, and, and the stories that have just rippled out have just been un, unbelievably beautiful. And so, mm -hmm. but in terms of all the basic stuff, and, and I never did intend to be a published author. So, um, so everything that mattered to me was in place before I, I wrote the book. And the mm -hmm. first 15 copies I made at Office Depot on their photocopier did everything I ever wanted that book to do. Yeah. So I didn't have an idea that, oh, what a way to now become a significant voice in the world and finally, right. you know, feed the addiction of doing something great for God. You know, that had already been killed in me. Uh, by the time so, I turned 50, I'd done the hard work, 11 years of work. And, and those 11 years, not that I'm perfect. I can still get triggered and stuff, but it doesn't last as long as it used to. Mm. But, but I was fine. I was at a place when this thing hit that I could just sit inside of it and not try to understand it, not try to manage it. And, and definitely did not need to react to it. Right. You know, I brought to the table what I brought to the table and all of a sudden it was sparking things in people. And some of them were very, um, adamantly bothered, you know, and by the way, Mark Driscoll probably sold me more books than any other single I bet. person. I bet. It might've been answer. how I heard about the shack, to be honest with you. I know. I know. <laughs> it's so great. I mean, it just went viral and, and it's like, well, that's God's sense of humor. Right. And, um, and, 
And I mean, there's some sweet backstory to that too. I, I went and met with him. He wouldn't meet oh, me well. in public, but I, I went and had some time with him and um, which turned out to be pretty significant in the midst of, and this That's is before awesome. his crash and burn, but his crash and burn was inevitable because he had a, yeah. And he, he had a fascist state, you know, and, um, and it Dictators just, never last long. <laughs> no, I mean, it's a good idea for a minute. And, um, um, so, uh, the backlash and I don't read this stuff, you know, okay. my yeah. kids would bring it up and go like, dad, you got to read this. And <laughs> great kids there, you know, like really rooting for you. Hey dad, well, they, they are because the ones that they, the ones they would find would be funny. It would be like, dad, look at yeah. this. And I read it and the guy is just vitriolic and, and mean spirited. And, and I'm going, what's funny about this? They go, dad, look at the first comment. And, and the first comment is, thank God, brother, someone who's finally stood up and, 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 uh, you know, and exposed this heresy for what it is. And I'm going like, this guy's just as mean. He said, look who wrote the comment. It was the yeah. guy who wrote the piece. He wrote he it about even, himself? He, he didn't even change. He didn't even, Amazing. he didn't even change it to an alias or something. Yeah, you know, yeah. he just, <laughs> he made the first comment about his own article saying how good it was. And, and it's just like, oh, oh people, there's so these, these things. So I know, funny. you know, John um, Crowder, but he always goes on about oh. like, you know, persecutors doing his work for him. Um, but I always, I always laugh. People ask why I let like really horrible people comment on myself. Most people just block them and that's it. And I'm like, they are preaching my initial point way better than I ever could. You know, like I'll post something about, you know, um, a, a famous one I did was I posted something about nonviolence and, and, it was a fairly normal kind of post for most kind of sane people. Like, you know, God doesn't enjoy killing people or something like, you know, like, sure. something like that. And the, the guy sent me this message. Uh, in fact, yeah, I think he sent me a message. He says, he says, I know you used to be married and you got divorced. He's like, but I am praying that one day you get remarried and you have kids. And then someone breaks into your house and rapes and murders your kids and, and wife in front of you so that you know what the true God is like. And I was like, Dude, that is profoundly laying out the kind of God I'm talking about. You know, like, I'm like, that God is not, I, I have no concept for a God that listens to that prayer, you know? But no. it's like, these people, they, they can't see that. And we all do that, right? I mean, I can't see my, uh, my obvious kind of like dissonance as well. But it, it does a great job making your point, right? You look at someone like Mark Driscoll screaming about like, you know, how God's love isn't like that. It's like this, you know, and you're like, yeah. Huh. And then, and then when everything crashed and burned for him, he was getting death threats, you know, from, from yeah. people in his own community. And, and, um, and we sent a, a little message back channel, which he didn't respond to, but we sent a message saying we had a guest house if he needed a place that mm. nobody would ever expect him to yeah. be, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, no. He and his family could come stay with us, and um, and uh, and it doesn't absolve the way he hurt people, but I did in yeah. my in my Absolutely. blindness and my stupidity, and so when when people are coming with their vitriol, at least they're coming with what they got. You know, mm -hmm. they're not. Yeah, they're not. I'd much rather somebody be furious than fawning. Yeah. You know, like you know, or or have. I'd much rather somebody whose agenda was obvious than somebody who was hiding one, yeah. right? Uh, the no, duplicitous absolutely. stuff is much more difficult to deal with than the stuff that's right in your face. And, mm. and the thing about it is, is that, oh, I'll give you this example. I was speaking at this, and I've had fantastic 
experiences being out on the road. Um, I don't have one. I've had it. I've had probably two interviews where the, where the, and it's both almost always as Christians, you know, and um, my people. And, um, but he, he flat out lied about his intent there. There mm. you've got somebody with an agenda that hid it right? right until we were on the air. And then it all became, uh, in this case, it was about him um, wanting to promote his own brilliance, mm. you know, and, um, and, and using language that I knew most of the people listening to him wouldn't have a clue, but sounded impressive. Right. And, um, and he, and he wouldn't stay on, on task to anyone any one issue at mm. all. We, it wasn't a dialogue. It was a monologue right from the beginning. But that's only happened twice yeah. in 15 years now. Wow. Um, now, I have been set up, but I've watched the Holy Spirit absolutely cover me. And, mm. and I've never gone in thinking that it's going to be a problem. So I went to, I was speaking in Orangeville outside of Toronto, up in Canada. And and I was speaking Friday night and all day Saturday, but Friday night I was speaking and then there'd be a break and then there'd be a little panel discussion and it would be moderated by a, a seminary professor. And, um, and when I get up to speak, I don't have a clue what I'm going to be talking about. And, and even when I do, I'm usually wrong. And um, it's just like one of those things where it's, it's become a place of trust for me. And, mm -hmm. um, and so that night I get up and it's on Friday and I go deeply into my damage, deeply into the hurt that I not only experienced, but then I perpetrated. And, um, and it was highly emotional, uh, full of loss and full of grief. And, and then we took a 10 minute break and then we sat down and I'm sitting next to the moderator, this professor, and he leans over to me and he says something that I, in the moment I didn't understand at all. He just leans over and he says, I came tonight to come after you and I've got nothing left. Mm. And I'm thinking like, ah, oh, mm -hmm. what does that even mean? And then we start the panel discussion and he, and he does come after me a little bit. You know, he says, he says, one of the things that I didn't like about the shack was that the, the process of dealing with the grief was too fast, you know? And, um, and he said, that really, that really has bothered me, um, the speed at which he, he then resolves these really deep losses. And I, in that moment, I felt such compassion for him, and I didn't know why. I mean, just was, the, I think, the way the Holy Spirit cared for him in the middle of this, as well as me. And, um, and I said, you know what? I, I think you're absolutely right. If there, if there had been a way for me because I said, I'm trying to squeeze 11 years worth right. of processing into a weekend. Weekend. <laughs> right? And um, trying to avoid war and peace in Oregon. And, um, and it's like, if there was a way that I could have done that, I think you're right. I think it would have been better. Um, and we had this, that was a good panel discussion. It was good. And at the end of it, um, when everybody is departing, I look into the first row and he's got, all of his kids there and they're grown. They're in their twenties. And, and uh, I don't think any of them was, a, well, maybe one might've been a late teenager, but, but they come up to me and they start weeping and they're going like um, the gal that was a spokesperson for the family. She, 
one of the daughters. She says, thank you for being so kind to our father. He was the moderator, right? Mm. We lost our mom less than a year ago, and he is completely lost inside of his grief. Yeah. Well, I had no way of knowing that, but obviously the Holy Spirit knows that. Yeah. And it's like the Holy Spirit is caring for everyone in the conversation. It's not just about, oh, God's protecting me from those people who are angry. It yeah. is like, no, I get to participate. And sometimes that means you keep your mouth shut because there's nothing to be said in that moment. Sometimes yeah. it's like you walk right inside of their anger and you give them a hug. Yeah. You know? And, and sometimes it's, it's, you take it and it's like, but you don't take it and let it whisper shame to you. Yeah. You take it and you turn it into a caring, uh, a caring thing that you then hand over to God and say, only, you know, what's going on in this person's life, right? The next morning on Saturday, when I got up to speak, he walked up on the stage and gave me a hug. And I looked wow. down at his kids and they got their mouths open. And later they tell me <laughs> all our years, we've never seen him do that wow. ever. Right. That's, that's what we it's get profound. to participate in. Um, and so sometimes you're saying, you know, that I was very, very careful and I, and I still am very careful, but I'm also mm. not afraid when, and again, because I don't plan what I'm going to do. It's not that I'm creating an agenda. So I was speaking at, I think Belmont university in Nashville who's got a huge program in music and arts. Yeah. Mm. And, um, and I was doing the chapel and, um, they did a couple songs before I got up to speak. And, and it was one of those moments where I, for whatever reason that day, I was able to speak into things that a lot of times I wouldn't have because mm. there is no church organization that I go into that is without problems. No, of course. Right. Yeah. So if, you know, the church is an easy target. If you want to make, you know, if you want an easy target to be mad at, Christianity will fit the bill mm. on so many different levels, right? Um, and yet it's made up of a community of people who are, who are longing for real and true and right and good and beautiful and just and all of that. Mm. And, um, and so I, I got up and I said, I have two questions for you. One is, how come we're not singing your music? You know, I mean, you've got all these degrees in music here offered and all that, but you're singing other people's old songs. So why aren't we singing your songs? Mm. And my second question is, why did you pick songs that are full of lies? And I said, bring up that last one, right? And I think it might have been, you are good, you are good, there is nothing good in me. <sighs> hate that song. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just such a fundamental lie right from the very core. It's yeah. like, there's nothing good in me. I, what happened to being made in the image and likeness of God, yeah. you know? Oh yeah, this is Luther. You are snow covered dung. That's not the truth. You may be dung covered diamond, but you are the diamond, <laughs> you know? And, um, and so it's like, I, and I went through, and in fact, there were both songs and I, and I just said, that's, that's, Look, look how beautiful the tune is, but you wrap a lie inside of a beautiful presentation. You can get away with it better. This mm -hmm. is what's called propaganda. Yeah. 
And it's, this is a lie. Look, this line, it's a lie. This line, it's a lie, you know? And so I, I had that day uh, a boldness that was proper mm. in that day. And when I was done and I walked toward the back, there were kids. And usually it's the um, outliers, the, the fringe dweller kids that sit at the back, you know? Um, they want to be first out and, um, and they're there because they feel like they have to, or they're meeting some kind of requirement. Mm -hmm. And these, and some of these kids were just bawling. They were sobbing. And, uh, and it, and it happened because in that moment, the right response to what was going on was to expose it, not to humiliate anybody, mm. right? Not to even humiliate the original songwriter of a song that is full of lies. That's not the point, not to get an identity as someone who gets mad at people who write songs that are full of lies, you know, N not to feel like um, the white savior of the moment. None of that is what this is about. This is about the bondage that human beings are inside of. And a lot of times we don't know it, but we can sure feel it. Mm. And, and we think it's, fundamentally because something's wrong with us. And in that moment, for that situation, that's the way exposure was done. A lot of times the exposure is a lot more gentle. If you look at the life of, of Jesus, and I think Jesus continues to do this, the harshest words are for the most religious. Mm -hmm. His people, right? Yeah. The kindest words are for the most broken. Mm. And it's just like, yeah, we're going to expose the loss in you, but I'm not going to do it in a way that's going to hurt you even more. Yeah. And one of, one of my favorite lines that I think I got from the Holy Spirit during this journey is that my freedom does not give me the right to rip you through the bars of the prison you call home. Yeah. Right? Not my job. My job is not to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And the word convict there is to expose. That's the work of the yeah. Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who has come to convict, to expose. What? In order to go like, see, you are a piece of crap. No. The unexposed is the unhealed. Mm. And that's why secrets are destructive. That's why lying's destructive. That's why not being part of community and isolating is destructive. That's why an incarceration system that centers on isolation is destructive. It's every, everything is moving toward hiddenness and hiding and faces turned away from truth. Mm. And everything about healing and wholeness is a movement back toward face to face, back toward light, out of darkness, out of hidden things, right? Mm. You are as sick. I am as sick as the secrets that I keep. Yeah. How have you, so this is a fascinating dynamic to me because um, obviously the majority of the people that I work with are um, generally speaking, probably about 70%, maybe up to 80% have left church or are in the process of leaving church, or maybe they're in church, but they've left mentally they're gone, right? They're, they're sitting in the back row. When you're saying church, um, you're defining it as the institutional structure. The institution, they're going along on a Sunday or, or whatever that means. Um, uh, and a, a small portion of them might have some level of community in their homes, something like that. 
Um, but the vast majority, you know, I use this example all the time. Like if you're Baptist and you decide, ah, I'm not going to be a Baptist anymore. I'm going to be a charismatic. You, you leave the Baptist church. You go to the charismatic church, right? You just, you know, well, where's the charismatic church in this town? Oh, there it is. Right. Or vice versa or whatever. If you're the person that goes, dude, this system is screwing me up. It's not healthy. I can't get on board with whatever the beliefs are. Maybe it comes right down to some of the foundations. I don't even want to do with Jesus right now or whatever. You're just so, I can't do this. I have to leave. There's not an obvious, oh, here's the, the church for people that don't do church anymore. And, and so people end up very isolated in this process. Right. How Thank do you, God. Yeah, which is a, a positive move for most of them. It really is. Uh, it can be yeah. a painful move and a lonely and a, and a heartbreaking move. But how do you how do you go about the process of being exposed, being doing that work, you know, not being hidden, not being secret when you're desperately seeking community and can't find it, or you can't find these people. Like that's a, a that's a very hard um, process to navigate. I'm sure you've seen a lot. Of, I know a lot of people that read the Shacker in that place. Uh, Cause I, I talk to them all the time, all day, every day. Yep. Um, you must come across a lot of people that are in that kind of situation quite often. I don't know your journey with uh, institutional church or not, um, but do you have thoughts on how that navigation um, can be walked out in a more healthy way potentially, or, or what yes. you do that would help? I do. I do. And it's not an answer that you would normally think about. Um, I only have one discipline in my life, spiritual discipline, and that is to stay inside the grace of only one day. And, and this, is, this is the realm in which trust begins to emerge because uh, a lot of us put our trust into an institutional structure that then violated it. Mm. And guess what? It didn't have the capacity not to disappoint you. It's yeah. a structure in a system made by good intent mixed with broken hearts, mm. right? And so it's a mixed bag. And, and again, if, if you want to find something to be mad at, it's an easy target, right? Yeah. So what it comes down to, it's going to come down to your internal relationship with the divine, divine intelligence, divine love, however you want to term Trinity, you know, however you want to term the transcendent. Um, and, uh, and, and we could, we could talk about that. Uh, the, the term God, what, it's a noun that comes from the Germanic, which means water spirits of some sort, you know. Um, I, I love the Hebrew idea that there is an unpronounceable name of God that is fundamentally a verb, and, and you can't put God in a box. You just can't. Yeah. Um, here's another great line, I think, from the Holy Spirit. The only time you'll find God in a box is because God wants to be where we are. Mm. Right? So... Yeah. So again, um, I was so triggered by scripture itself that I basically laid it down for almost 15 years, right? Mm -hmm. I'm really glad that I did that. And then it was slowly reintroduced into my life in a timely fashion with the wisdom of the Holy Spirit um, in bits and pieces. And then, it, and then it became more and more significant. It never... Mm. I, I believe in the infallible inerrant word of God and his name is Jesus. Right. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't make scriptures divine. It's never replaced the Holy spirit and the Trinity. It's, you know, none of that stuff that I grew up believing. Yeah. Um, do I hold on to anymore, but I really treasure it. Uh, it, 
it has a wealth of, of both an expanding view of the character and nature of God and an exposure of human broken inclination to, to craft God in the image of their own brokenness, mm. right? So you've got both things going on in scripture. You've got, you've got scripture absolutely declaring two different natures for the character of God. And one of them is an expression of our own brokenness. And, and, and we don't know that because we took yeah. the scripture and made it, you know, divine. And Jesus himself refused to do that. Like you look at scripture as if it contains eternal life. It only, yeah. it only has life in that it speaks about me. That's what Jesus says, right? Mm -hmm. So, so um, this is going to go back to your own personal where you're at today. It's, it's, not, it's not like, oh, if I could only find a community of people, then I'll be okay. You've got to become a person who is okay within the context of where you're at today. Mm. If, if this relationship with God does not work for children and first century slaves, it's probably not true. Mm. Right. And I say children, because it has to be that simple and first century slaves, because they were under the most coercive kind of environment you can imagine. And yet their lives were supposed to be full of joy and peace and kindness and goodness and fury at things that were wrong while enwrapped in long suffering and love and patience and you know and it's just like huh so it's not the external thing that will now give you another way to feel okay about yourself it's the journey that you make inward because that's where the kingdom of god is mm. the kingdom of god is in you and so the real work and the real journey is inward work. Mm. And we would much rather move from one group that we are now mad at to another group where we can think we can find a sense of identity, worth, value, significance, security, meaning, purpose, destiny, community, and love. And yeah. now we place that expectation on the new group. And of course, it will fail you because people are people. And, and these are systems that are made up of people. And if you, if you don't recognize that, you're going to be hopping from one place to the other, looking for one new experience that gives you a sense of worth and identity in which yeah. you will sit in a seat of judgment against those that you have left, right? So if you move from A spirituality to B spirituality, your tendency is to think everybody in A is an idiot. Yeah. And that everybody in C is just nuts. And so it's like, stop do the work, learn to mm. live inside the grace of one day in a relationship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in which trust is truly born. Real trust, not belief. Mm. Trust. Trust is a whole person thing. And, and that means certain things. That means you got to stop being a future tripper. And future tripping is, in fact, it's one of the book projects I'm working on right now is the art of living in one day's grace. But future tripping is creating imaginations that don't exist in order to have a sense of control over a life in which mm. you have no capacity to trust, right? Fear yeah. creates one of two responses, trust or control. And, and you can tell how much you are present, that is staying in the grace of one day by how how 
complete the companionship of joy is in your life. Mm. Um, uh, if perfect love casts out fear to the degree that fear operates in your life, to that degree, you don't know how much you're loved yet. That's mm. a, that's also a telling point, but in the presence is fullness of joy. So the degree that joy is not a present companion to that degree, you're not present. Yeah. Joy doesn't leave. You do in your imagination in, you know, how many of us have created imaginations in which, you know, I'm going to say something to that person. They're going to say something to me. And then I'm going to say this, <laughs> and then we're really going to be mad at each other. So why even talk to them to begin with? Yeah. We've just created an entire scenario that doesn't exist in the present. Yeah. And, and we've annihilated a relationship through imagination. None of it is present. It's all imagination, right? How many of us have, you know, seen our kids in every kind of a, I have a son who's a police officer right now in the middle of all mm. of this craziness. And, and, you know, he's, he's had homemade bombs land between the feet of somebody just next to him. Thankfully, the fuse ref didn't go off. Um, but they've been shot at and with um, fireworks and frozen bottles thrown and broken glass bottles thrown. And, mm -hmm. and he's had a friends who've ended up in the hospital, you know, the, our fellow police officers. Yeah. And, um, and so, you know, future tripping is suddenly I'm thinking about what am I going to say at his funeral and what, am, how are the kids going to survive his children? Who's going to look after him? I'm wondering what his wife's going to do now. I mean, I've got a whole future worked out based on an imagination that he's going to die right? None of that is true. None of it is real. And I don't have grace for it because mm. I am not given grace for anything that doesn't actually exist. Mm. I have a, I got a verse for this year. I never get a verse because I think Trinity knows I'm so agitated by how scripture has been used <laughs> to hurt people that, that they're going like, nah, don't give Paul a verse. He'll just, you know, he gets <laughs> triggered. And, uh, but I must have come to a place of enough health where God can go like, okay, let's give him one, you know? <laughs> so it's a good dead. one, guys. <laughs> it, it is. It's Hebrews well, 3. Top 10. <laughs> yeah, Hebrews 3.13. It's for 2020. I got it at the beginning of the year. And it goes like this. Encourage, add courage. And I would be saying this to all of those people who are in transition, right? I'm going to like, okay, I want to add courage to your life as long as it is about today. That's what the verse says. Mm encourage one another as long as it is about today. And today is all in caps in the New American Standard because the Greek is emphatic. And it's like, so I'm going to encourage you as long as we're talking about today so mm -hmm. that you are not swept away by the deceitfulness of brokenness. That's what the verse says. Yeah. Wow. You know, it's like, what's the deceitfulness of brokenness? Well, my brokenness won't allow me to stay present. I got to figure out how to do something that is a controlling thing. And even creating imaginations based in fear seems like it's more in control than trust is. Yeah. Because trust then drives me back to some really basic fundamental questions. Yeah. Are so you trustworthy? Good. Yeah. This, you know? is, this is where I, I look at the East and I just think, man, these guys really nailed this a lot more than our modern Christianity. Just it went on a totally different, I think Jews got very much living in the present, but within Christianity, I don't know if it's emerging within kind of that Neoplatonic kind of timeline or whatever, but we just ended up living in the past or the, or the future and just left the present alone, well alone. Yeah. And it feels like the you Eastern know, religions kind of hunkered down and said, let's try and 
put those to the side and just be present in the moment. Um, no, so the past needs to be dealt with, but it's dealt with from the present. It's not, mm. you don't go live in the past because that's dysfunctional and you'll, you'll end up creating prisons based on, you know, that's why forgiveness is such a violation of, uh, of the events and the people in the past that have hurt you, you know, because mm. that forgiveness is for the sake of the victim where you're saying, I'm not going to carry around what you did as a corpse on my back that continues to putrefy and infect all of the relationships that I'm having now. Mm. Right. So I am going to let you go. And unforgiveness is just holding on to somebody's throat and then dragging them and that memory along with you. And a lot of people think, well, if I forgive them, then they just get away with it. You know, it's yeah. like, you know what they're they're it, They don't even care probably. And some of them are dead. And, and it's like, you think, that by holding on to this is is holding them accountable. Yeah. All it's doing is hurting you. And this is why Jesus says you have the power to forgive. If you even have the size of a mustard seed, you can say to the mountain, be cast into the sea. One of the gospels, that's the context is mm. forgiveness about yeah. this mountain of what seems to be this event and this hurt and all this. And you go like, no, you have the power to say, I let you go. I let you go into the care of a God who knows how to even heal you. Yeah. Right. And, but I'm not going to let what you did continue to own me. Yeah. Right. So forgiveness is for the sake of the victim. Reconciliation is for the sake of the perpetrator. That's a whole different conversation. But, um, but again, you know, but you deal with the past as it becomes something that pops up in the present. And, um, Otherwise, you can go, you know, and, and I love therapy, don't get me wrong. And I think the Holy Spirit is behind all these modalities of healing because of the, the spectrum of human experience and loss. You know, mm. there, is no, there is no silver bullet here. There is no single solution here. AA, I have totally raised up by, by Trinity to help human beings not kill themselves through addiction, right? Yeah. I mean, and it saved millions of people's lives. And um, not a flawless thing, um, yeah. but let me tell you, therapy is not flawless. But let, but again, there is a difference between okay, I'm with a therapist, and we're going to deal with things that are in my history. That's different than just going and living in the past. Yeah, and then but there's a lot that. of past to live in, right? In the next 24 oh, hours, gosh. I could live a few hundred years, you know, try and cram that. In. <laughs> oh, and 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 then we carry it with us and. And we become inside out people where the first thing anybody knows about us is our trauma, right? Yeah. It's like, that's my identity is in my past. Mm. It's like, well, who are you now? And, yeah. and so um, Bruce Coburn's got the line, you know, living in the past is not living at all, you know, mm. and uh, being present, having to deal with the past. And, that, and that's a recurring thing because here, here's how I see it. I see spiritual development as a spiral that goes deeper and deeper and deeper into the soul. And so, so it's a, it's not a circle. It used to feel like a circle because I always felt like I was, I'm just going around in circles. I'm looking at the same old crap. I'm doing the mm. same old thing, same old, you know, but the truth is even as you go around that circle and that spiral and you see something familiar, you may be just a millimeter deeper than you were before because what you've already experienced is now changing, changing you because mm. There aren't roads going nowhere. 
right? So this spiral continues to move down and down and down. And you deal with deeper elements as you mature as a human being and have the capacity to deal with them. Yeah. And we know if you look in your past, you go like, oh my gosh, if, if the Holy Spirit had said, we need to deal with this, and I was at the top layer, it would have killed me. Yeah. I wouldn't have had any capacity to deal with it. I had to work incrementally to the place where, okay, now I have, it doesn't, you know, sometimes feels overwhelming, but I'm now ready to, you mm. know, and I'm, this last uh, January, a year ago, January, I was in Australia, woke up in the morning in halfway between awake and sleep and had a real time where Jesus said, we've got to go back to this memory. And it's one that I've known about my whole life. I never buried it. It wasn't a repressed memory. And it was abuse, a memory of abuse. And I'm like, I don't want to go back. I'd rather not, right? <laughs> I mean, it's been what? It's been, it's been 20 years since I wow. worked through these things. And now, but it was really significant. And mm. I needed to go back for a couple different reasons um, that I won't go into the details, which I could. I'm free to. But, mm. but, um, but. The point is, is that I will deal with my history as it comes up in the present, yeah. right? And, and, and that becomes an invitation to go like, all right, there's a little more work to be done here. I'm okay with that. But the one thing that I don't want to do is future trip. I yeah. do not want to create imaginations that do not exist in order to feel safer or mm. in order to feel like I've got control. It's all illusion. It's yeah. not real. The, yeah. You know, I've got a calendar over here that was full of events I was supposed to speak at that got absolutely obliterated by yep. a little tiny virus that I can't even see, right? Totally fine. Because I held that calendar loosely anyway. Because yeah. I made those decisions within the grace of the day. And I fully intended to, but you know what? If I had died, that calendar wouldn't have been much use anyway. Nope. And And it's like the imagination of control is so elusive. I would rather learn to be like a child. And we have 12 grandchildren that are 12 years old and under. And, and I love being around them because as long as they've not been taught that trust is dangerous, yeah, their experience of trust has been verified and valid, validated. As long as they live that way, their natural thing is to stay inside the grace of the day. Yeah. They're all about, they're all about what's in front of them. I was, um, I love this story because it's become more profound to me um, uh, since last year when it happened. And I was speaking to a group of gray hairs, you know, like me, um, older folks that were in a sort of retirement community resort, sort of retirement community okay. in Oregon. And, um, and they had invited me, they have a little small, community church inside of a, they meet inside of somebody else's building. And, and, um, and so they wanted me to talk about the shack and, but then we opened it up for question and response time, which is what my favorite thing is because it's all in the moment. Mm. You know? And um, I don't plan what I'm going to say, but the Q and R is definitely up in the moment. And, and there's an elderly gentleman at the back. Oh, all the guys at the back were elderly, by <laughs> the way, but, uh, but he raises his hand and he goes, well, there's this Irish proverb that I would like you to comment about. You know, and I'm going like, okay, <laughs> sure. What is it? He goes, 
It goes like this. When you die, the only thing that will have mattered is if you had impact, influence, impact. What do you think about that? And it's one of those moments, and I think every human being has experienced a moment where they have participated with divine intelligence and love in such a way that comes out, what comes out of their mouth completely surprises them, <laughs> right? Yeah. It's like when somebody's in a crisis and they're talking to you about, you know, and you feel like I have nothing to say. I got no idea. And you open your mouth and out comes something so kind, so tender and so profound that you're blown away yourself. And you're thinking mm. like, wow, that person right now thinks I'm like the smartest person yeah. on the planet. <laughs> And I've got to remember this because this is so good. You know, to me, that's participation. And uh, so he asked, what do you think of that proverb and uh, that Irish saying? And before I even could think, out of my mouth comes, you know, I've never heard a child ask or say anything like that. Mm. Um, I guess you have to become an adult to say something like that. Children assume presence is impact. And I'm going like, oh my gosh, that is so profound. Children assume presence is impact. They don't show up and think, oh, I've got to do this and this and this, and then I'm, I matter, and then I have value, and then I have significance. They're like, no, I'm here. You know, what else do you need? You yeah. know, I'm yeah. here. Presence is impact. And it's true. But in our lives, it's also true. It's mm. learning how to be present. So to go back to, you've got folks that are in a process of transition, which by the way, will be the rest of your life. And, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, yeah, the spiral just keeps going, you know? And, um, and, and, and part of it is recognize that institutional systems can't save you to begin with. They just can't. So it's not about finding a way to live without them at all, because we live in a world that is full of them economic systems, political systems, religious systems, social systems, right? Uh, This is what we do. We make systems. And uh, thank God that God does not. But also, I'm so grateful that God will climb into anybody's system and begin to dismantle it from the inside. All the things that are not good, right? Mm -hmm. This is This is my view of why you can find the presence of God in every religion. It's not because God is trying to affirm religion. It's because God loves the people, the human beings that brought that religion to the table. So he, by nature, submits and Mm. crawls into their religious ideologies and systems in order to love them from inside their box. Right? Mm. And I love that idea. It just resonates to the core of who I am because I've watched God do that in my own life. God didn't just stand over there with the placards yelling at me what kind of mistakes I was making. He climbed inside my world to be with me. And even when people were saying, you know, he's a total screw up, right? I hear Trinity with their arm around me going like, of course we know, but he's my screw up. Right. And so there is that sense. So in this transition, take a deep breath if you need to stay away from institutional structures, like for a long while, don't allow shame to whisper mm-hmm. that you're less than as a result. You know, 
sometimes you got you've got to decontaminate and and it's not like and, and at first it's going to be like it's going to feel like everything that was a part of that was wrong yeah it's not true there were beautiful things there but even in my own personal journey i got to the place where i thought what's not a survival skill what's not a safety mechanism i don't even know if i exist <laughs> right what about yeah. me is actually real and and over time i began to it began to be revealed that there were lots of things that were real, but were so hidden inside the crap mm. that I, I couldn't distinguish between that which was false and that which was true. Yeah. And, um, and that happens in terms of how we relate. The goal is not to then become part of a new system in order to, you know, become, what do I say about a lot of religion is, is, um, it's it's just another form of slavery, yeah. Um, mm -hmm. The people are not what's valuable. It's the existence of the system that becomes valuable. And and religious systems traffic in human souls. That's right out of the book of Revelation, by the way. Mm. They traffic in human souls. and uh, But systems do that. Political systems do it. Economic systems do it. They traffic in human souls. So the goal is not to become, you know, to leave the systems. The only way you can do that is to kind of die. I mean, like physically. Um, but the, the goal is to be led inside the grace of the day in a relationship with Trinity to participate in any way as a response to what's actually in front of you. Mm. And you'll end up being in the world, but not of it. Mm. In the world of systems, but not of it. So I have freedom. I'm inside Christian religious systems more than almost anybody I know. Yeah. And I've got this thing about religious systems, yeah? <laughs> but I, I, I know how now in ways that I didn't have the capacity when I was more broken. Um, I know how now to distinguish between the system and the true value of the people who are in them. Yeah. Right? This is Paul saying, I don't judge anyone according to the flesh. It doesn't mean he's blind to their stupidity or their brokenness or you know, their blindness or their need for power or their addictions or any of that kind of stuff. Mm. But he's able to see the truth of their being. That is, they're made in the image and likeness of God. They are uniquely expressions of that image and likeness. And this is where the East missed it, right? Mm -hmm. The East was really good about saying, be present and, and, and learn how to stay inside this space where the East tend to get it off track was when, and Christianity followed suit in a way. And that was that the goal became selflessness mm -hmm. or that, that you would then merge into the all nothingness of homogeneity, that you would become one with the everything so that you were no longer distinguishable as a unique expression, mm -hmm. right? Sounds really lofty, but it's just bullshit. And and it's as bad as, you know, the coercive stuff that's on the other side. And none of us relate to our kids that way. Mm. We're not going like, oh, you're so unique. So let's, we're going to try to merge you into the homogeneity of, of you know, the absolute childness. No, we're always going like, no, have your own voice. Be your yeah. own person. It's the uniqueness of who you are that we, that we begin to celebrate, not not how you can be like everybody else, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, it's, it's the verse, um, 
train up a child in the way they should go. And when they're old, they won't depart from it. Right. That's how we translated that verse. Very mm. non-Hebrew. But but we did it that way. Train up a child in the way they should go. So now the emphasis is on law. What's the way they should go? And everybody had a different opinion, you know. And so, but somebody would write a book. This is the way they should go. So yeah. dare to discipline and and or do it this way or do it this way. And so we're all trying to take our kids and package them inside of a perception of the outcome. And and it's like train up a child in the way they should go. And it didn't work. I mean, they just blew out the boxes that we tried to train yeah. them up according to. The Hebrew is train up the child in their way. Mm. And when they're old, they won't depart from it. Hmm. Train up a child in their way. That means every child has their way. And of course they do. We had six kids. Let me tell you, you couldn't discipline two of them the same. You couldn't reward two of them the same. The things that interest one didn't interest the other. You know, they just, they were all their own persons. And part of the love relationship as parents was to with Trinity discern the uniqueness of each child and train them up in their way. And of course they won't depart from it when they're old because it's their way, right? Mm -hmm. and, and that is about uniqueness and individuality that then is not selfless love, but it is self-giving love, which mm -hmm. is the definition of agape, other-centered yeah. self-giving love. But there has to be a self. If, if you're to love others the way you love yourself and, you, and yourself doesn't exist, then neither do the ones you love. You know, yeah. it's like, no, mm -hmm. the growth and the work that you do internally that a lot of us used to feel very guilty about, like it was to do the inner work was to be self-centered. Yeah. Right. I mean, it was mm -hmm. a selfish act and Jesus didn't say that ever. The kingdom of God is in you. Do the work, right? Mm -hmm. You're worth the work. Do the work. And as you do the work, rivers of living water will spring from the inside of you outward. This is where the work happens. This is where I dwell in you. This is the temple of God. And every human being is that, whether they know it or not, whether they're Christian or not. Mm. You know, you, you can be a Christian and be an absolute follower of Moses. That's obvious if you look around, right? Not of yep. Jesus, you know? Yeah, it's the love your enemy part that kind of just becomes where the rubber hits the road, you know? Oh, yeah, good idea. Maybe after I'm dead, you know? Yeah. But, um, but it's like, no, that's the real, that's the real world, you mm -hmm. know? That's where Moses, that's where Jesus would say, as it was written, and he'd quote Moses, but I say to you, and he'd transcend the law. And yeah. here's, here's the other place. When people are lawless in their own heart, we need a picture of what love could look like, and that's the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments aren't a prescription and a formula for perfect behavior so that you're acceptable. It is a picture of what love. One day you shall not commit adultery. Thou shalt not. You know, like there will be a time when you won't. There'll be a time when you won't have any other gods. You'll, you'll find your identity, purpose, meaning inside of the relationship of love and mutuality. Um, so law exists as a buffer against one lawlessness, but also as a interim vision of what love might look like. But, it, but it, the law was never the end game. Mm. 
because mm. it's written on stone. And Jesus is like, I'm going to write it on human hearts, on hearts mm. of flesh, right? It's going to be this love will be, that is pictured in the law is going to be transcended into actual human expressions and it will become the way of your being, not something that you're trying to enact because it's a set of rules. Does that make sense? Absolutely. It's so good. I love it. And you're saying this is going to be your future, uh, your next book. You're going to be writing about this concept of being in the moment, uh, the the grace for today. Yeah. You got a few books working? Because I'm I'm aware we're we're plowing through your time. So uh, we we should probably wrap up and, uh, um, and tell people what you're working on. Um, how they can connect with you. you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm working on a few things. Uh, one is uh, the three books, which are one is on ontology, which is, um, it's basically wholeness. It's about wholeness. Wholeness is when the way of your being matches the truth of your being. So it's that whole mm. conversation. Really fantastic. I'm really loving that. The second one is on living in the, the art of living in one day's grace, which is what a lot of what we've been talking about. The third one is a sequel for the shack. And wow. um, so, which is the creative side. Um, so that's all going on on the one hand. We're working on, we've got a full, first full draft for a major motion picture for Eve. Oh, wow. Um, okay. I know. I know. And nice. it's, it's a serious conversation going on right now. At the same time is that we've started a webcast, which eventually we want to morph it into some form of syndicated uh, show which would be right now the title is uh, Together with Paul Young. And we named it that before all the together stuff that happened in the culture. And, um, mm. um, but it's sort of C.S. Lewis meets Mr. Rogers. And, um, nice. and it's, it's like, let's, let's have an unscripted reality show, like where we're actually talking about things that matter and things that have the potential to open up the human heart and change Mm. through a ripple change the world you know through a ripple and so the first of the webcast side of that will be aired on father's day this year which is in a, in a week or so oh wow June. okay so that'll be out by the time because this was usually about two or three weeks by the time i get it yeah these so you can ads. look back and and the first awesome. two of those are it's just it's just me and they're about 30 35 minutes long and um you'll see some promos going out on the social media stuff uh, about it, but it's together with Paul Young. And uh, the first two are about my relationship with my dad. And they, they're they really beautiful, both those episodes. And then, um, and then we're going to be doing interviews with people like just have visitors. And sometimes I won't even know who they are. That's how oh, unscripted nice. it is. Awesome. So there's just a lot of fun things that are going that sounds on. That's great. And, uh, but it's all unfolding without an agenda and inside the grace of the day. And, you know, it's like, it's amazing. I, I hold it all really loosely. If it happens, it mm. happens. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. And it's totally okay. Yeah. People would say, you know, what if they made a really crappy movie about the shack? You know, because I let go of all the creative control and all the rights and all that. Mm. I said, you know what? If the purposes of God are better served by a crappy movie, I'm in. I'm totally in. You know? Because God doesn't need a, another movie or another book, another song. You know, yeah. this is, this is act 17. This is not a God who can be served with human hands as if this God needed anything. Right. Yeah. So this is a God who invites participation and mm. climbs into our songs and our stories and our books and our movies and our interactions and our 
yeah. and our kindnesses and the things that nobody will ever see that we participate in and, and our work and our plumbing and our, our, our mothering and our and plowing the field and our picking up the garbage. And, you know, all yeah. of that is participation, no sacred, no secular division. You know, everything mm -hmm. is an expression of being included into this remarkable kindness, yeah. this relationship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Yeah. Did you enjoy the movie? Did you, did you like how it I did. came out? I, I, I did. loved it. I thought it was fantastic. I think I you did. did a really good job. And I got very involved without even, I never expected to be involved because I gave up everything with regard to it. Right. And, um, but I got pulled into it a lot and oh, I got to great. be on set. I'm in a cameo in it. And uh, you have to look, it lasts for about two seconds, but it's very cool. And, um, and uh, but I thought as difficult, uh, a task to turn the shack into a movie was. huge project they did a fantastic yeah. job you know and 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 they said to me you know they said we know that if 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 we could have spent an extra 10 million dollars on this scene it was the the scene where they're in the field and mackenzie's right. with his dad because it to to do the book version of that would have been at least 10 million bucks more wow. <laughs> and, uh, and but they still i mean they they there were so many beautiful things that happened i mean we could talk forever about the things that happened on mm. set that were absolutely remarkable even to the i'll tell you one little one when they did the burial scene with um missy and they're bur they're burying her body and and the and they pour out mackenzie's tears and which then turns into a, a new tree, a tree of life. And, um, and the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are standing with Mackenzie in the middle. And uh, they're out in the middle of the woods. They built the garden, right? And, um, and they're out there. There's a, all the crew is there. They've got camera people, plant people, lighting people, sound people, director, producer, all of these folks, right? And then they've got the four cast members. So... If you saw the casket, it was made by Joseph Nemec, who was the set designer. And Joseph had prayed uh, but when he first read the shack and said, because uh, he's a set designer, he said, Lord, you know, if, if there's any way, if this is ever turned into a movie that I could be the set designer, that would be, I would wow. love to do that. And they had actually given the set design job to someone else from New York who bailed on the project just before. And Joseph lives wow. in Vancouver, BC, where they were filming. And somebody said, what about Joseph? And so they contacted him and he ended up being the set designer. He hand-built the casket, right? And on this beautiful hand-built casket, there is a weaving of butterflies across the top and, uh, and around the side. And, um, and so, you know, they have Missy's body. They put Missy in the, in, the, in the ground, cover it over, tree of life. Then they take this one shot where the, three, the four of them are standing together. And as they roll camera and everybody thinks this is special effects and it's not as they roll camera from offset comes this big beautiful butterfly and it flies into the scene and lands on mackenzie's nose and the look he stays in character everybody stays in character and that's the shot in the movie that's crazy not planned not anticipated there was nothing on his nose not special effects there was just a butterfly that comes flying in and lands on Sam Worthington's nose. Isn't that? And that you're going like. Absolutely amazing. Oh my gosh. 
See, and that's the playfulness. If you look yeah. at children and you see their playfulness and Jesus is going, you need to become like a child to even see this mm. kingdom, right? And this playfulness, you don't think that God is playful. And, and most of the time we're blind to it because we're not present to it. We're off into some agenda or future tripping imagination that doesn't exist. And mm. when you learn to be present, you get to see things that you would have otherwise missed. But God would do them anyway, because this yeah. is the playfulness of the very character and nature of God. Mm. That's so good. Man, yeah. thank you so much. I have to say, like I said at the beginning, I've reread the shack so many times. And, and there's this beauty of when you move further along and you look back, you can see things in this amazing hindsight, can't you? And the amount of things I think that reading the shack has softened my heart to move into. And I realized that I would have thrown this book out the window if I knew it was saying that at the time. Oh, I actually, know. I can see how it's it's leavening my bread. You know, it's 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 screwing me up for into the future. It's, it's pushing me down the slippery slope. It's you know, looping it up or whatever. I don't know. This this is the beauty of layered fiction. Yeah, right? I mean, this is why parables are powerful. And oh my gosh, you, know, yes. you find yourself where you need to be in the story. Right, one day you're the bigger, the older brother. Next day you're the younger one. You know, it's. It's, it's Next day, you're the pig. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I have, I've got friends who've read the book, uh, you know, a dozen times, and they go like, Paul, I didn't see this. And I go like, well, you were standing behind a tree last time. You know, <laughs> it's like as you move, the mountain looks different. Yeah. And, and that's part of the beauty. And that's what allows the Holy Spirit to play inside of art in a way that doesn't happen inside of like nonfiction. Nonfiction yeah. is to actually decrease space, right? Yeah. But fiction is, if it's done well, and if it's not propaganda, yeah. If there's, if there's yeah. not a hidden agenda, right? Um, it's designed to open up space so that people can hear for themselves. Yeah. And that yeah. becomes just the playground for the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Well, I spent my entire life inside academic books and, and just, I love it, but God, is it dull and tough. And so it's the joy of finding a book like The Shack is it, there's something profound that you, it's a page turner, yeah. but it hits you in every emotion. And so yeah. honestly, thank you so much for your, I mean, and that's the beginning of the story as far as, as what you've produced as well. I mean, there's so much great stuff. And so thank you for that. Thank you for what you're doing well. as well. It's really exciting. Um, if people want to kind of track with you and connect with you, what are the best avenues? Uh, right now, right now, the website that links to everything is WM for William, WMPaulYoung.com. Okay. And we're going to be building out some other stuff so that people have access. Um, let me just say, I have absolutely no need to be a person of notoriety or fame or any of that kind of stuff. Absolutely don't need it. And, um, and so none of that is intended for any of that reason. And so if at some point, some of, uh, some of the folks that have gathered around what, what we're trying to do to help heal some of the human heart and uh, participate in that, um, uh, anything that we, that you hear as a, as a request is a, is a wide open hand, hand open um, request to just say, if this is something that sparks uh, a way and you want to let others know, here's how to do it. But there is no, mm. there's no agenda behind that. And um, other than to participate inside the grace of the day and play, you know, awesome. and, um, and I, and I love being in this, in this place because I, it carries no intrinsic burden with it. Uh, mm. You know, I'm not doing some great mission for God. I'm, I'm learning how to just be the child who gets to play in the presence of love. And, um, and I think that's what the deepest longings of every human heart is to be seen, to be known, 
and then Absolutely. to play, to participate. Yeah. Wow. Thank you. And coming on and playing on the podcast. So Come on. <laughs> I really appreciate Thank you, you well, spending so much time with me as well. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. Two-way street. Absolutely. Wonderful. Absolutely honored. Great. Well, we'll stay in touch. I'll let you know um, when it comes as well. We, we post the video on YouTube and, and the podcast cool. will be out. And so, yeah. And hopefully, much I can't imagine you. anyone here has not heard of you. Often I'm like, well, hopefully you'll get a whole bunch of new followers. I can't imagine as many. Uh, well, there, there's lots of people. Have no clue. That's great. I love it when it happens too. Well, yeah. hopefully so. And I tell you what, if people have read The Shack, read The Shack for crying out loud. <laughs> yeah. Wonderful, Paul. Well, have a great day. I hope all is well. I hope things are going well for you. you know, Thank you. Kids, nurse, doctor, uh, nurse, uh, policeman. Police you know, officer, like, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, one day's grace at a time. Yeah, Today we are, are very good. Wonderful. All right. Well, love you, my friends. Have a good one. Thank yeah. you. Love you too. Take care. Bye. Bye. All right, so that was William Paul Young. Uh, oh, Paul, what a great guy um, with a tremendous heart, a tremendous amount of love just oozing out of him and, and such great wisdom as well. And um, what a profound uh, way to see life and to live life. And uh, and the, the if, for those that know more of his story, uh, it's just amazing to see um, how he has become who he is and, and what he's overcome and, and how that has shaped him to be such an incredible person. Just amazing. Really, really great guy. Um, really privileged to chat with him, honestly. It was, it was, a, it was a, a big deal for me. I don't know if you, you enjoyed it, but I certainly really enjoyed it. So, yeah, I encourage you, if you haven't um, been tracking with Paul, if you don't know much about Paul, check out his books. Check out Crossroads, Eve, The Shack, um, Lies We Tell Ourselves About God, um he's got a lot of if you type his name into youtube you'll find different talks he's given and he's got great talks and all sorts of different topics the guy is very knowledgeable um but the best way to connect with him obviously is his website wmpaulyoung.com um you can get to pretty much everything he does through there you can sign up for his newsletter and all sorts of different stuff and find his social i'll put his social in the um in the show notes as well um but yeah I do encourage you to check him out. Keep an eye out for, um, I think it's, what was it called? Uh, Together with Paul Young, um, his new show. That that sounds great. Uh, it sounds really uh, fun. Um, but yeah, do do uh, yeah track with him. Let him know. Send him a message and let him know how much you love this. If, if you loved it, I'm sure he'd appreciate that. Um, but that's all I've got for today. Um, as always, you can head over to thegracecourse.com for loads of different resources on lots of different topics. Everything on there is for free. Um, like everything I do, if you want to support what I'm doing, um, thegracecourse.com is a great way to do that as well. You can give a small donation every month of five bucks or more, and that really helps helps me pay the bills. Um, the deconstructionnetwork.com is a great resource for those that are deconstructing and trying to um, find people in their local area. A lot of people as they deconstruct start to um, feel more and more isolated as people cut off from them. They, they feel disconnected from their church, from their families, from their friends um, because of what they're going through. And um, the, the heart of the deconstruction network um, was that you can try and find people in your local area that are also going through deconstruction. So you don't have to do this alone. You know, it's great having Facebook groups and bumping into people and chatting with people on like a Instagram page or something like that. But nothing quite compares to, you know, having someone that you can talk to in person, someone that you can laugh with, cry with, um, you know, have dinner with, have a coffee with that. That's there's something really special about being together. Um, and so that's the heart of the deconstruction network.com. Um, you can go there. 
sign up, put in your um, your city, your state, your country, um, and it will tell you who's who's nearby, who's in your region, who's in your area, and you can send them messages and try and connect. And so I'd encourage you to check out the deconstructionnetwork.com if you're feeling um, lonely, feeling like you'd need more community in your local area. Um, that's a great resource for that. And, and we're doing really interesting research on people that are deconstructing as well. And we'd love for you to be a part of that. That's an entirely optional but if you want to do a survey every few months um that, that you can do that through the deconstruction network every few months as well and help us um develop more and more of a picture of what is it like for people who deconstruct what why do people deconstruct what happens when people deconstruct um so we can kind of try and change the narrative around that because a lot of the narrative is very negative is very inaccurate as well um, and so i want to be helping give a voice to those who deconstruct through clear data collection uh, and, and presentation of that data as well all right that's enough rambling from me i really hope you enjoyed this episode please do go check out paul young's stuff go send him a message if you loved it you know tweet him or whatever or shoot him a message on instagram or wherever you can find him um, let him know that you loved it encourage him i'm sure he'd appreciate that but that's all from me for now and i'll see you in the next episode